Good morning. Welcome again. A few months ago, we were going through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we went through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, something one of the commentaries I read then has stuck with me. I think about it a lot. He pointed out that the Lord's Prayer begins with the Father and ends with the devil. Uh, we pray every week that God would deliver us from evil. And today we will hear from Ephesians chapter 6 about how God is doing that. Turn in your Bibles, if you have one, please, to Ephesians chapter 6. It's almost to the very end of the Bible. If you're new to the Bible, the big numbers are what we call chapters. The little numbers are what we call verses. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church. This is the end of it. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. Keep the Bible open in front of you. God says through Paul, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Let's pray. Father, help us now as we come to you. May we understand your word, not merely at an intellectual level, but may its truths sink down deep into our hearts and flow out through our actions. Give us great confidence in this battle that you are waging against evil and darkness. We rejoice that it's your battle, it's not ours. Help us to depend on you as we participate in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For the last six months, many Americans, many Westerners have been transfixed by the war going on in Ukraine. The war has been going on for eight years, but with the shocking violence and scale of Russia's invasion, many of us are now aware of the war for the first time. And so we are deeply troubled by it. We are troubled by its suffering and its destruction and its injustice. We are troubled by what it exposes and what it endangers and what it may foreshadow. In our text this morning, the Apostle Paul is summarizing his entire letter to the Ephesians 
by telling us about a war that's far more important, even though many of us would like to believe that it's not happening at all. Compared to the war going on in Ukraine, this war between God and the spiritual forces of evil is one that leads to vastly greater suffering and destruction and one that has far more serious dangers and threats. And it's a war with no civilians. Everybody is a combatant. Every place is a battlefield. Now, there's no question about who's going to win this war. But there's this question. It's the question of all questions. Whose side are you on? There are two and only two answers to that question. Paul has written his letter to the Ephesians to remind them and to remind us about God's glorious plan for his creation, to restore it from the ravages of sin. Paul has been repeatedly telling us about the central role of the church in God's glorious plan. And so now Paul reminds this church and he reminds us about what it means to be the church. In other words, what it means to be on God's side in the great war and how that should play out in our lives and our relationships with one another. Paul is telling us this morning that we need to stand up and fight. In verse 10, you get this summary statement of everything he's been saying in the letter. He says, finally, which is a way of saying, here's what I've been telling you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He began the letter, if you remember, he began with this soaring emphasis on God's mighty rule over the world, over each and every one of us. And so now Paul ends the letter in the same way. He does not say as his conclusion, well, go and make something of yourselves now. He does not say, well, God's done so much for you, I guess now you should try really hard to show him how grateful you are. He does not say, well, God's given you a second chance, so don't mess it up. No, Paul says that our strength and power always comes only from the Lord. He says, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the strength of His might. You never get beyond this posture of dependence and neediness. This is what Jesus called poverty of spirit. This is why Jesus was always pulling little kids close to him to say, you've got to be like this if you want to enter into God's kingdom. He didn't mean you have to be cute or you have to be innocent. He means you need to be dependent. In ourselves, we are weak and vulnerable, even on our best days. The, the days of our Christian life when we felt the greatest about God when we felt the closest to him, when we've been the most pious, even then, we are unbelievably weak and vulnerable. But we live by the power of God. God's power, he's already demonstrated it for us most wonderfully in the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul's been telling us in Ephesians that the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is now at work in his people. The Christian life does demand a great deal of effort and pain and sacrifice and discipline. But even our obedience, even our discipline, is ultimately empowered by God himself. We're never on our own. We're never meant to be on our own. 
Paul says that we need the strength of God's might because of this great battle that's constantly raging around us and against us. Verse 11, he says, Put on the whole armor of God so that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This is a fairly famous passage in the New Testament, but many Christians have read it as though it were talking about our armor and about our weapons. Like it's talking about things and resources and practices that we have to muster up if we are going to stand up against the devil. But Paul continues his emphasis on God's power by calling this God's weaponry, God's armor. God's giving us his resources to fight in his war. And it is a war. Many people look at Christianity, some Christians look at Christianity and think that it's a strange club, think that it's a hobby for people who are particularly weak or naive. Even many Christians approach church, reading scripture and prayer, as though they are things that are largely irrelevant to their lives, uh, something that's kind of boring, although maybe something you do when you're in a pious mood. Many Christians look at Christianity and the practices of Christianity as an optional add-on for when you feel like it or when it seems like it's working for you. But this is all to aim far too low. Knowing God and following Christ means constant battle means war. To sing and to pray and to take communion in church, those are acts of war. You are in the battle. But even beyond Sundays, as important as our Sundays are, even beyond them, we're always in a battle. When you wake up, when you start your school day, when you drive home from work, when you are going to have a meeting with somebody who's treated you very badly, when you are scrolling your phone in bed, when you are barreling down the hallway towards the screams of bickering children, you are a combatant. And therefore, you are a target. Paul says that for this constant battle against sin and all of its terrible effects, he says you need to be wearing God's armor. Your own pathetic weaponry cannot and will not cut it. And that's not only because we're weak, although we are, but it's also because we have a powerful and malicious enemy, Satan himself. The Bible calls him the father of lies. Jesus says that he's been a murderer from the beginning. All he wants to do is steal and kill and destroy. And so here in verse 11, Paul says that we are constantly under attack by his schemes. That means that he's never coming out in the open. He doesn't show up in red tights and say, here I am, I'm the devil. I'm here to ruin your life. Uh, He doesn't show us exactly what he's up to. He's hiding. Many people in our society don't even think he exists, which makes him all the more powerful, makes them all the more vulnerable. Many Christians act like he doesn't exist, even if they would say that he does. Many of us act like our real problems and our real threats only concern things like money and health and relationships and politics. We need to remember that the spiritual world is real, that demonic forces are at work behind and through these things, that so many of the things and the people that frustrate us and hurt us are really pawns in a far deeper and a far darker realm. 
That doesn't excuse those things. It doesn't mean that those things aren't hurting us. It doesn't mean they don't cause real pain. But we need to remember that they are not all that's there. And they are often not the most important things there. On the other hand, some Christians act like the devil is all that exists. Uh, they overemphasize his role in their sin and their suffering. And we've got to be careful about that too. The Bible is very clear that we can never blame the devil for our own sin. He's only one factor among many others in the sadness and the misery of this sinful world. We do not only fight with the devil, but we also must constantly fight with our own fleshly desires. We must constantly fight against the world's destructive and deceptive enchantments. The devil often takes advantage of these things in his attempts to harm us. But at the same time, he's not the ultimate cause behind everything that goes wrong in our lives. But even so, there is a real war. There is a constant battle that most of us, I would guess, most of us probably need to take more seriously, not less seriously. Paul says in verse 12 that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, this present darkness, and so on. Paul is saying that the ultimate battle is not against politicians or in-laws or neighbors or co-workers. He's saying the ultimate battle is against these personal forces and beings of sin and evil that use and leverage all these things against us. So Paul says, in light of the fact that this war is happening all around you, stand up and fight. He keeps saying over and over again, stand, stand, so that you might be able to stand. Verse 13, he says, take up the whole armor of God. You might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And then he immediately says the same thing again in verse 14. Stand. The war is no cakewalk. If you approach your life as though you could nonchalantly lift a finger every once in a while to ward off the evils of, the sin, of your sin, of your flesh, and of the devil, if that's how you live, you're never going to make it. Paul says we each need to take up the whole set of weapons that God uses and provides in his battle against evil. And it's not merely a defensive battle, although part of it is defensive. Uh, we need to approach this not like we're just cowering in the corner with our arms up, hoping that we survive. God's on the move. God is advancing against the devil through and in his church. And so he calls us to stand with him and stand in him. It's a defensive battle, but it's also an offensive battle. Jesus confidently declares in Matthew chapter 16 that I will build my church. The gates of hell will never prevail against it. The Apostle John, speaking of those who depend on God's strength in the way that Paul is talking about, he says that everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. It's an offensive war. Now what's this weaponry by which God is conquering sin and evil? by which he conquers what Paul calls this present darkness that for some of us can feel so suffocating and so present. What are the things that God hands to us and uses to strengthen us to fight in his war? First, verse 14, Paul says, we need to put on the belt of truth. 
He's already told us in Ephesians chapter 4 that the truth is in Jesus. He's already told us that the way we mature as a body of Christians, the way you mature as a church, is by the truth. He says, by hearing the truth, spoken by the church's shepherds and teachers, but also by speaking the truth with each other in love. In this world's battlefield of darkness and deception, we need God's truth. But remember, it's not just something that we take up and wield for ourselves. It's ultimately God's battle, God's armor. You see, Paul is alluding to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, where we hear that God's messianic king would one day come to write and rule the world. Listen to this. This is from Isaiah chapter 11. With righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and truth the belt of his loins. And so you see this belt of truth is first and foremost something that God wears. We live and we battle and we grow strong by and with his truth. And so the question for us this morning is this. Are we reading his truth? Are we hearing his truth? Are we meditating on it? Are we seeing it all around us? Are we reflecting it in our thoughts, in our feelings, in our words, in our actions, in our relationships? We need God's truth. The next part of God's weaponry that we need to fight in this war is the breastplate of righteousness. Now again, Paul alludes to Isaiah, this incredibly important book in the Old Testament for understanding the New Testament. Uh, Now Paul is alluding to Isaiah chapter 59, where we hear that God looks out on humanity, he sees nothing but injustice and evil and darkness. There's nobody intervening. There's nobody who's able to do anything about it. And so God intervenes on his own. He says, well, I'll do something about it. Uh, Listen to this. This is Isaiah 59, talking about God. It displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and he wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And so you can see again, this is ultimately God's battle. This is God's armor. He is the righteous one. He's the one who always stands up with perfect integrity for what's true and good and just, especially when the weak are getting kicked around. For this great and constant war against sin, we need his righteousness. Now, I think this is at least in part talking about a status of righteousness that God has now given us in Christ by mercifully recreating us after his likeness. Paul talked about that in Ephesians chapter 4. So now the devil has no right to lodge any accusation against you because God looks at you and treats you as though you were fully righteous as though you were not guilty at all. But we also need to reflect God's righteousness. We don't just have a status of righteousness. There is a certain pattern of righteousness that we must reflect, although often imperfectly. We need to do it in our actual behavior. This is what we talked about last week. We are battling the devil when we live by humility instead of anger, when we are living by love instead of lust, when we're living by contentment instead of greed. Those two are acts of war. 
Paul says in verse 15 that our shoes should be the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And again, it's an allusion to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Now we're in chapter 52, where the prophet is rejoicing in the beauty of the feet of someone who brings good news of peace. In Isaiah and in Ephesians 2, this good news of peace is preached by God himself. God's the preacher. And in both places, this peace is first and foremost peace with God. His merciful forgiveness of our sins by sending his suffering servant Jesus to carry our sin and to suffer God's judgment for it. But it's in this peace with God that we also now make peace with one another. Paul keeps talking about this in his letter to the Ephesians. He keeps emphasizing that God is recreating the whole human family by reconciling its various tribes and factions under Jesus in the church. This good news about God making peace with us and so also between us, that good news makes us ready. It makes us eager and able to go forth in God's work and in God's way. No matter how hard it might be, how foolish it might look, how much suffering it might bring. Knowing how much God's forgiven us, knowing that we have peace with Him, that's what gives you strength and courage to go out and fight with Him in His war. This war that so often plays out on the battlefield of conflict with other people. In verse 16, Paul says that we must always and everywhere take up the shield of faith, that with this shield of faith we can stop and quench the devil's flaming arrows. Now it's important to know that we don't fight by faith in our faith because our faith is often weak and it often wavers. We warn off the devil's lies and accusations by faith in God himself, by faith in our loving and generous Father. The Psalms often remind us that God is our shield. And so in all suffering and sin, in times of discouragement, and anxiety and anger, we have to put our hope in Him. God's our shield. Paul now alludes again to that passage in Isaiah. I know there's a lot of Isaiah floating around. Paul's alluding back to the same one he did two references ago when he says that we should take up the helmet of salvation. Now once again, Isaiah tells us this is something that God wears in His unilateral war against evil. Salvation is a gift from Him. Jesus' name, you remember, means the Lord saves. All we do is accept God's salvation from him as we watch him bring it about. We are safe in Christ. We are no longer in any real danger. And so we can be confident with the protection of his salvation as we battle against the devil. Paul says that we need to fight too with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's yet another allusion to Isaiah, except now to chapter 49 for those who are keeping score at home. Isaiah's messianic servant says that God has made my mouth like a sharp sword. The Messiah Jesus is swinging the sword of his word to slaughter his enemies, to deflect their futile attacks against him and us, his people. The word is now written down for us in scripture. Like Jesus did in his own battle against the devil in the wilderness, we wield scripture against the devil to fight off his lies, his accusations, and his temptations. 
We have to be steeped in the word of God if we want to be able to stand up and fight in the strength of God. At verse 18, Paul emphasizes a few times one of the most important elements of this constant battle against evil. Prayer. Uh, If you're like me, you struggle a great deal to pray, as you should. Uh, You struggle to concentrate. You struggle to not be distracted, to not have all these things blaring at you all the time from all these screens. Uh, And then on top of all of that, you struggle with being discouraged about all of that. Because prayer is so mighty to ward off the devil, he hates prayer. And so he does everything he can to keep us from it. Uh, If you find prayer difficult, that's actually a good sign. That's a sign that the devil does not want you to be doing it. And you should take courage. I'm struggling with this. I'm really distracted. Therefore, I should keep going. I'm in the right place. Uh, If you find prayer really easy, uh, you are maybe in a bad place. You need to ask hard questions. We have to be a people of prayer. Paul says, pray at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. He says, keep alert. Stay awake, he says, literally. Stay awake with all perseverance, making supplication. Supplication is a big word. We don't use it uh, really at all in our conversations, but it just means asking for things. At the end of the day, prayer is you just saying to God, I need help. He loves to answer our our requests. We need to make time to pray, just like we saw Paul doing, even in his letter to the Ephesians. He keeps taking these breaks to say, hey, and here's how I'm praying for you. Uh, I keep praying, and here's what what I want God to do for you. Paul has shown us by his example that we need to be asking God for his help and his strength to fight in these battles. We need to pray like Paul that we would be strengthened in the knowledge of God. We need to be praying that we would be rooted deep down in the love of Christ. We need to be praying like Paul did that we would be filled up with everything that God has for us. Uh, We need to pray like Paul did that we would more deeply grasp the hope to which God has called us in the glorious inheritance of the new creation. We need to be praying these things for ourselves individually. But Paul also says here that we need to be praying for all the saints, even for him. Paul says, please pray for me. Pray that I would be bold in speaking God's word. Because you see, this spiritual warfare is not just something that each of us does individually, like we're all a bunch of soldiers just kind of off running around doing our own thing. But ultimately, this is a battle that we do together. You're not meant to fight this war on your own. It goes something, back to something that's at the heart of Ephesians, the central role of the church, even the local church, the central role in God's work and plan in this world. One of the most important ways that we act and we grow as a church, one of the most important ways that we fight as a church is by praying for each other. Uh, And so would you please try to find more time to pray for one another? And would you pray for me? Would you at least pray what Paul asks for here? That I would teach God's word clearly and boldly? Uh, Like Paul, I am often tempted to water down what God is saying to better fit with what you and the world might want to hear rather than need to hear. And so as we now venture out in remodeling this building as we finish up today this generosity initiative and hope that God would make us a more generous people with our resources would you be praying for this church's mission 
Would you be praying for our ministry here that we would become a more fruitful and a more faithful church sharing God's word and God's love in Austin and even around the world? Please be praying for our church. I'll end with this final pronouncement that Paul gives, this final pronouncement of God's blessing on his beloved people. It's not just something that Paul does because he's not sure how to land the plane at the end of his letter. It's not just something that I do at the end of the service to have a nice kind of bible thing to do at the end. But when I and when Paul pronounces God's blessing, you're literally putting God's blessing on you. And Paul's doing it here. We cannot and we will not stand up and fight in God's strength if we do not live and give and fight in his love and his peace and his grace. And so Paul places those things upon us. Peace be to you, brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that by the power of your word you have placed your grace upon us. You have filled us up with it. Help us now to go and to live and to serve and to fight in the great confidence, the readiness, the peace that comes from knowing your love. Make us a grateful people, a humble people. Help us in all of the darkness of this world to fight in your way against your enemies. We pray for help in Jesus' name. Amen.